Do you think it feels good to be asked for something over and over and over again? As a mommy, when my boys were young kids, just like you guys, I taught them, or at least tried to, I taught them to not badger me because it would wear me down and tire me out. And it wouldn't change my mind, but it was really, whew, it was so tiring. And so I would just remind them, please don't badger me, don't wear me down. And my boys knew that when I said something, that's what I meant, and that was it. And that if they asked over and over again, I wasn't gonna change my mind. Now, do you think there's ever a time when we should badger someone and keep on asking for something over and over and over again? Hmm. Well, the Bible actually tells us that there is a time that we should badger. And wait, do you remember what the Bible is? I happen to have one right here. If this is a special book, it contains the true words from God. And the story I have to share with you today is from a book in the Bible that talks about a story that Jesus tells us. Do you remember who Jesus is? Yeah, Jesus was this person from a long, long time ago. He told this story, and he's the son of God. And he loves us very, very much. He loves you, and he loves me. And in the story that I read, that tells us about badgering, Jesus actually tells us how we should pray. What's praying, you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked because it's so simple. It's just talking to God. So when you talk to God, you're praying to God. And in today's story, Jesus tells us that we should talk to God over and over and over and over and over again. In other words, Jesus is telling us we should badger God. Like, what does God want us to badger him about? Well, he tells us, to never give up asking for justice for his people. Justice, what's justice? You may ask, justice is a pretty big word. Now, it's an important word. It means that things are fair. Now, have you ever had a time when things just didn't seem fair to you? And when we pray for justice, we are asking God to make things fair, to make things right. And Jesus tells us in today's story, in fact, he promises us that when we ask to continue to ask for things, for justice, over and over and over and over again for his people, God will answer. Do you want to pray with me today? Super simple. Just re repeat after me. Close your eyes, put your hands together, and repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this lesson on how to pray. Make me a badger for fairness. Don't ever let me give up praying for justice for all your people. In Jesus' name, Amen. We'll see you later. Amen. Thanks, uh, thanks, Jenda, uh, for that uh, excellent uh, reminder of how Jesus encourages us, um, challenges us to, to persevere, to, to be stubborn, actually, to badger God uh, for justice uh, through prayer.
And I, I, I want to um, just take a, a look at that passage right now, the Luke 18, uh, starting with verse 1, and the, the, the story of the persistent um, widow. Uh, Luke 18, chapter 1. And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, remember, this parable, um, Luke tells us in the very beginning, this parable has this purpose. It is to teach us The verse first, always to pray and not lose heart. Always pray and not lose heart. In other words, to to continually badger God for justice. But why justice? Why is that the purpose here? Why does he say, I want you to never lose heart. I want you to continue to badger God for justice. It's because justice is at the heart of God. What we've been saying for all of this year on the Sunday, this is the very character of God. This is what He pursues. And the other, the other issue is that justice is hard. Justice is complex. There'll be all kinds of reasons to want to give up because it, it is not an easy pursuit. I mean, one, we're, we're selfish. We want our stuff. We don't really look necessarily for others' stuff. And the other, it's a complex world. Um, just just this week, it's a dangerous thing to preach a series on justice and to be studying and looking and continuing to research injustice because you find all kinds of things that are uh, unjust in our world. Uh, this this week, a modern day dilemma I find myself in. There's some good news here, some bad news, some hard news, um, and it's around the Uyghur people in China. Uh, they're in the, the Xinjiang, um, uh, Xinjiang province of China, sort of the northeast corner or, or northwest corner of China, and um, about a million, million and a half people, um, mostly um, Muslim. They're sort of their own people group, though, and they get severely oppressed by the Chinese government. They're they're put into their um, into labor camps. Internment camps. Um, f- children are forced to go to Chinese re-education schools, and 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 it's quite profitable when you can take a million people and put them into forced labor, and then take the material that they create, working six seven days a week, and then sell that to the world. Um, the uh, good news. Is that uh, uh, in the United States, our, our government, this last year, political leaders passed a bill. Uh, it was like 460-something to one in the House of Representatives. Passed a bill that said, we're not going to buy things from that region of the world any longer. And um, 
But the hard part is, even though we, uh, that's a good thing, good thing that we're aware of that and saying we participate in that. We, we, we don't want to do that anymore. But will it work? Ultimately, will it really help the Uyghur people? I mean, pretty much every watchdog group in the world, uh, particularly the ones that I look at a lot, are, are, are Christian watchdog groups because they're working with Christian groups around the world, particularly around religious persecution. Um, and they, and those sources, all say, yeah, this is what happens. This is what happens to the Uyghur people. It happens to the Christians that live there also. Um, uh, the only people that deny it are the Chinese political leaders, largely. Uh, but in that, case, that time when, when the, our government was debating what's the best to build to do and not knowing for sure is this really going to help or, or not, um, there were a number of companies in the United States that were lobbying to sort of water down that language in that bill. Companies like Apple and Nike, uh, Coca-Cola, just, just to, to name a few. And they were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to try to water it down. Now, all those companies say, we are not about slave labor. We do not want um, to participate in that at all. Yet, they were also wanting to water down the language. That's hard. Hard decisions to try to figure that out on a global scale. I mean, what can you even do to address that? But also on a personal scale. Because I've got some Nike tennis shoes at home. And so I'm wondering, when I run, was that shoe made in some way that oppressed the soul of a Uyghur 10-year-old. I've got an Apple phone. Is there some way when I'm reading my Bible on my phone that I'm in some way benefiting from a 73-year-old Uyghur widow who's forced to work in whatever part she had a part in in my capacity to read the Bible when, as long as my battery's charged. Justice is not easy. On a global scale or on a personal scale. It's a, it's a huge issue. One that we can't, I can't solve, you can't solve, but the, and that we're a part of in ways we don't even realize. That's why this story that Jenda shared with us is so pertinent for us today as we seek to, to emulate, to, to model, to be a part of, of God's character who loves justice for the whole world. Justice requires our perseverance. In our ultimate complete dependence upon God. To, to pursue justice requires a persistent pursuit of God. Now today, we're going to explore the complexity of God's justice and, and illustrate it some through Jesus' life. We're going to look and see how Jesus persevered uh, to act with justice throughout his life and with everyone he interacted with. Remind you, um, as we've been exploring justice, we've we've uh, uh, defined it in, in a sense as a, a three-legged stool, a three-legged stool in which the, the, the three legs are, are human value, uh, human equity, and human flourishing. 
And those three legs, we, we balance together so that the, the stool is a, is a flat surface, a level surface for us to then flourish together in the justice of God. So as we, we, we look at Jesus, first we'll, we'll look at human equity. Consider how, how Jesus demonstrated human equity. Now, now here, I mean, Jesus was a model for us to follow because we're told and we see over and over again throughout the scriptures that Jesus had no partiality. He had no partiality whatsoever. It's in Luke chapter 20, verse 21. In a situation where the religious leaders who were opposing Jesus were trying to trick him here. But they even affirm, even they know this is Jesus. That Jesus shows no partiality. Luke 20, 21. So they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality. But truly teach the way of God. There was, there was what, what we would call today implicit bias. You know, unconscious prejudice. That, that, that was not existent in Jesus. He, he was aware of those tendencies within us and aware of how society wants to value certain people over others and, or certain groups want to devalue the groups they disagree with. And he was aware of all that and refused to play that game. I mean, when, when he saw a big black man walking down the street, he didn't clutch his phone or lock his doors. When he, when he met someone that didn't speak English, he, he didn't think, are they ignorant? When, when he met a Jose, he, he didn't just assume they were from, that he, Jose was from Mexico. And when he talked to Felicia on the phone, didn't assume that she could dance, but maybe couldn't read. You know, th- those are the, the kind of things that we just do, the, the implicit bias that just are blind spots that come, that, f- uh, that flood our minds an instant that we see someone or hear someone and make an instant judgment. Jesus didn't do that. He treated everyone according to what they needed. He didn't treat them equally. He treated them with equity. And that's important to recognize. If you're a parent, you understand that. You know, different children have different needs uh, in order for them to flourish. So you don't necessarily treat them equally, but you treat them with equity. And you can see that in how Jesus treated all kinds of different people. Um, uh, one was the woman at the well in John chapter 4. You know, so she was a, a woman who's come to the well to get water by herself in the middle of the day. Uh, where We find out she's uh, had five husbands and the man she's living with now is not currently her husband. And when Jesus interacts with her, it's different than how he interacts with the, uh, the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. It treats him very, very, very differently, but with equity for exactly what they need. So the woman at the well, he comes to her and in need, saying, I'm thirsty, can you give me some water? Because that's what she needed to be able to engage with Jesus. And then, as you'll see, you're going to read the story, you'll see how Jesus then led her to flourish. And the rich young ruler, Jesus engages very differently speaks directly to him because he comes asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus eventually tells him straight on, here's what you need to do. You need to go. 
Take all your possessions, sell them, give them to the poor, and come follow me. Treating them with equity, exactly what they needed in order to flourish in him. But that's the the way of of Jesus. He, He directly speaks to all different kinds of people. Whether it's the poor man on the side of the road a group of children playing next to him, or a filthy rich tax collector. Jesus engaged directly with each one in order to give them what they really needed. There was no partiality. Jesus treats everyone that he faces with equal dignity and gave to them exactly what they needed to flourish. He treated all equitably without any influence of the world's value systems around him. Now, consider human value. So he treated each human with with equity. He he recognized the value in every human being he engaged with. Because every human being has value because they're created in the image of God. Not what they can achieve, not what camp they're in, not what group they're a part of. It's because they're created in the image of God. And particularly, we see in Jesus, which we see throughout the, the scriptures, and we talked some about last week, that there are groups of people that society at times will not value and and, and Jesus lifts them up there's others other folks that you see that society values too much Jesus brings them down Uh, last week we talked about the quartet of the vulnerable that you see throughout the scriptures the widow the orphan the poor and the immigrant and, and you, you see in Jesus, again, that he, uh, his, his opponents charged him uh, with th- that he was a friend of sinners. He, he, he hung out with the wrong people. He was a drunkard and a, he was a glutton because of who he hung out with. But he tended to engage with those that were oppressed, those that were vulnerable. You can even see that in the stories that he told. He tended to flip the script and make the people who were belittled the hero in the stories that he told. Um, Luke chapter 10 is one of those, probably the most famous story. I'd like to read a part of that again. There's a story that we call the Good Samaritan. Now, for us, the Good Samaritan, yeah, that's a nice story. We think positive things about it. But when Jesus coined that phrase... It caused all kind of cognitive dissonance in the people that were around him. Because Samaritan was a bad word. It was a derogatory term about a group of people. That that were not the end group. It was the group that was despised, looked down upon. I mean, a lot of people that hung around with Jesus, religious leaders, they wouldn't even walk through Samaria. They'd take an extra day's journey to walk around it because they didn't want to become filthy. Sullied in some way by walking through. So for him to say and make a hero of this story, the Good Samaritan, it's like whatever term comes to your mind, a derogatory slang term that, that we throw on a group of people. We, we throw on them uh, because, you know, you, you can come to your mind, whether people are Chinese or Japanese, whether they're black, whether they're white, whether they're women or men or Mexican, you know, there are all kinds of derogatory terms that we can think of that we could say the good 
whatever. And that's what it would feel like. Or even, um, uh, but what, well, what, what we see, whatever group the people don't like, that derogatory name that devalues them, that would be the one that Jesus would use there. All right, well, let me look at the, just read the passage to r- remind us of this, this particular story. Now, what's happened is there, there's been a person who's an expert in the religious law who's come up to Jesus and said, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what's the law? You've read it. And the person responds, well, the law is to love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, then uh, he responds to say, well, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus replies uh, here in verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sent him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. See, Jesus was correcting, even through this story, he's correcting the value system of his world and our world and our sin. Jesus corrects our values by making the vulnerable the heroes of the story. He, he corrects our, our misappropriation of value uh, by, by um, shocking us. It's like, to really step on some toes here, it's like he said, yeah, what if we called the story the good, proud boy, white supremacist? Ooh. What if he said the good Marxist atheist? Whoa. That's what he's saying. Now... If that stepped on your toes, I'm going to do it for about four more minutes. Hang with me for four minutes. Hopefully, everybody's toes will be equally stepped on, and you'll be able to get over that and ask the question, is this really about following Jesus? How does Jesus correct our value? Just how difficult is it for us to truly value everyone around us like Jesus? And the need for us to badger God for justice even in our own lives. Because I could never see Jesus going to the border of a country and chanting, build the wall, keep them out. I I, I couldn't see him there affirming that. Now, I can't see Jesus also saying, so tear down all the walls, get rid of all borders, and let uh, whatever wants to happen. It's not an easy solution. It's a real challenge. That's why you have to badger God for justice. Our our pursuit is the justice of God.
Now, you might be saying, well, that's pie in the sky. You're right. It is. That's what the justice of God is, what the kingdom of God is. Last I checked, resurrection was not something that normally happens. Also, um, as I consider this, uh, the, the pursuit for us of how we engage with immigrants and immigration policies, and how do we do that without devaluing anybody and honoring the name of Jesus? On the flip side, I, you know, I couldn't see Jesus gathering in a setting with, with people speaking, people up front speaking. And when somebody said something that Jesus disagreed with, that he stood up and canceled culture. That he wanted to silence the opposition. Again, not, not saying that we need to disagree with things directly and forthrightly, just like Jesus did but we don't silence them by marshalling the louder group to increase the volume so as to drown out and silence the opposing voices. It's, it's never the way of Jesus for the oppressed to become the oppressor. Look to Jesus. He never silenced his opponents by force. He silenced them a couple of times through wisdom and truth, but he never silenced them by force. Now, his opponents tried to silence him by force. That's called the crucifixion. And we all know that didn't work. Now, Jesus valued the powerless, he valued the oppressed, and he also valued the powerful. Those that disagreed with him, he corrected them, but he never devalued them. Never. Even on the cross, in the greatest act of injustice the world has ever seen, with nails in his hands, do you remember one of the things that Jesus did? While he's on the cross, he's persevering, he's praying, he's badgering God for justice. He's hanging on the cross. And what does he say about those who hung him there? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. That's a sign of one who perseveres to value all human beings, to pursue God's justice, even in their dying breath. Again, I mean, lest you need any more... Convincing this justice stuff is hard and we are sinners. The global systems are complex, but we keep badgering God for justice. We want to be a people, brothers and sisters. We want to be a people who are formed by the character of Jesus, not by a politician, not by a celebrity, not by a religious leader, not by a party platform, not by the traditions of our heritage, but by Jesus and Jesus alone. And that requires badgering God for justice. 
And then finally, uh, in the, the third stool, human flourishing. We see that in Jesus throughout his life also. It was his very mission statement. It was the, the purpose for which he came, he told us, in Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 16. And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is why he came to flourish, to set people free, to proclaim good news to the poor, to, to, so that folks might flourish in him. This is why he came. This is his mission statement. Later on in Luke chapter 10, he says, I have come so that you might have life and have life to the full. Again, he has come to provide for human flourishing for all. That is a picture of God's justice, of God's kingdom. And again, going to the cross, you see how Jesus demonstrates this and how difficult and what a challenge this can be in the midst of such evil within us and in our world. Because it's on the cross in a specific situation. A, a, a very specific, not, he's not pie in the sky, general justice as an idea, but in a specific situation as it relates to him, he's on the cross again with nails in his hands and in his feet and he looks down and he sees his mother. And he realizes that he's no longer going to be able to fulfill the responsibility as her oldest son to care for her. And he looks at her, then he sees John, the apostle. He says, mother, this is your son. John, this is your mother. Take care of her. In a practical, simple, clear-cut way, he's saying he's caring for the widows or the soon-to-be widow without her son. Take care of her. It's on the cross, the greatest act of justice, where, where, where Jesus then affirms and secures the fullness of human equity, human value, and human flourishing. He dies so that we might all be freed to live with God in the fullness of life forever. That all who believe, trust, follow Jesus would have life with God forever and that it would be abundant and flourish. Human equity, human value, human flourishing are at the very center of the purpose of what Jesus came, why he died, why he was raised, and why he will come again. So for us, as God's people, to be formed by the just character of Jesus, it requires us badgering God all the days of our lives. So I propose to you this February that this be our challenge, February, which starts tomorrow. I know that boggles my mind too. We're already finished with January. But every day in February, 
even if it's just for 30 seconds, make it your prayer. God, make your justice real in me. Just make that your prayer. God, every day, make your justice real in me. I know we want to go, well, what do we need to do? What can we do? You know, I don't know. I I gave you a bunch of situations. I don't even know what to do with them myself. I mean, should I read on my phone or not? I don't know. I still have it, so I haven't gotten rid of it. I've just got to live in it. But God, help me pursue your justice. I gotta sit with God. I gotta know His power, His grace, His definition of justice. And, and so the second thing, besides just praying that, second thing, be reading through the Gospel of Luke. And as you're reading through the Gospel of Luke, just explore Jesus and, and just, and read through that lens of what we understand to be God's justice, the three-legged stool of God's justice. Human equity, human value, human flourishing. Just as you read through the Gospel of Luke, how does Jesus demonstrate his commitment to human equity, human value, human flourishing? I've got a couple other things that I'll, I'll add on to this for those that want extra credit. But, you know, next week or tomorrow starts February, African American History Month. A great opportunity during the month of February to go to the Freedom Center, a, a, a great museum and a place that illustrates a number of the things that I talked about um, today. One, um, they, they have a whole, whole uh, uh, segment of the museums about human slavery today and how the, the, still the existence of slave camps and sex slavery and, and those kind of things. Another way to be in tune with the, the brokenness of our world and cry out to God. For God's justice. Uh, also, there's a whole implicit bias exhibit there. Now, if you go down there and you go to the implicit exhibit, the guy that runs it is Ryan Wynette. And I, I go down and volunteer with Ryan, or I did pre-COVID. Uh, so I know, know Ryan well. We just talked on the phone this week. I didn't tell him I was going to call him out today. But if you go there, you got to go to the implicit bias and you got to at least tell Ryan that I sent you. Okay? I don't get a kickback or anything like that, that I promise. Just a fun thing to do to Ryan if you go. But brothers and sisters, Jesus charged us to never give up. Charged us to be persistent in prayer about justice. To be formed by the just character of Jesus requires us badgering God all the days of our lives. And the good news, this is, this is the good news, as, as, he tells, uh, as Jesus tells us in the parable at the beginning, God will be faithful. God will hear. God will answer. God will bring justice. This, this is good. This is exciting stuff. God will bring justice through you and me, and we will impact our world. And the world will see there's something different about these people that are truly committed to following Jesus. They they live in a way where they treat me with value even when I disagree with them. They they treat other people that, that that, that sort of turn me off. They treat them with value. They're committed to equity for other people, not just themselves. And they truly want humans to flourish, all of them, even if they don't have any connection with them, even if they're not related to them. When that happens, that's a witness to the world that the world needs to see a people that are formed by the character of Jesus. And that pursue 
God's justice in a big way and in a little way. May God indeed use us to show God's love, God's power, God's goodness, and empower us to give value to all human beings around so that we all may flourish in Him. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do thank you for Jesus who shows us the way, who makes the way. And Lord, we, we obey him. We, we pray for justice. We pray for justice in our lives, in the world's lives. Uh, Lord, we, we pray that you would make us a people who are so filled with your power, your grace, your mercy, that that we give ourselves to pursuing what is good and right, even in the midst of ways that that are beyond our capacity even to understand. And that we're so tangled in, we'll never be able to untangle ourselves. So we, we give ourselves to you individually and as a church so that we might be a witness to you. And Lord, we, we thank you for the, this privilege of being able to pray for you that because of Jesus, we, we have been made right with you and we can come before you with boldness, not fear. And so Lord, we can lay before you the, the needs and concerns of our loved ones and of ourselves and of our world and of our enemies. Lord, we, we pray uh, for those who we disagree with. We pray for those who, who turn our stomach. We pray for them that they would come and know you, that, they would, that we would value them the same way you did and that they would flourish in you. 